Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets are trending lower this morning following another sell-off on Wall Street overnight. Good morning, I'm Michelle Martin. Tokyo down 0.8% in early trade. Sydney and Seoul are in the red as well. You're listening to Market View and joining me now as we break down all the market action on a day when the world says goodbye to Mikhail Gorbachev. Ryan Huang, how are you doing this morning? Hey, Michelle, doing all right. How about you? Yeah, you know, I studied Russian history mm. in school, so when I think of Gorbachev, I think of two key phrases, perestroika, restructuring, mm. and glasnost opening. And, you know, I like that headline, this is a man who brought down the Iron Curtain. Yeah, that's so, a big name um, growing up in the Russian space. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the world has lost a leader. All right, lots of corporate stories today, some macro headlines as well. And we begin this morning in China with a story that has elements of both. First, a quick question for listeners to test your China know-how. What is the name of the biggest property developer in China, you at home? I'll give you a hint. It's not China Evergrande. Second hint, it focuses on the lower end of the property market. So, do you have an answer? Who is China's largest property developer? Did you guess Country Garden? If so, you'd be right. So, why am I asking? Well, Country Garden is reporting a big slump in profits. In fact, if they had dropped much more, Country Garden would be in the red. Its profits fell 96% during the first half of the year. So, what happened, Ryan? Why is the business of China's largest developer, why is it contracted so much? Yeah, like you pointed out, it is a huge property developer. And this is where it's different from the likes of Evergrande. It focuses on the lower end of the market. So when you think about who buys up these lower end sector houses, it's those with lower incomes, migrant workers typically, those who would typically find it harder to upgrade themselves to, in, I guess, in their stages of life. So they're pretty much stuck there. So that's where they are. And when you have an economic slowdown, they are the hardest hit typically. And this will then trickle down into the property sector. And that's where you are seeing uh, Country Garden suffering quite a bit because of that slowdown and home buyers just holding back from buying those cheaper homes. So that's why we are seeing first half earnings for Country Garden plunging 96%. That's the most in nearly 15 years. Mm-hmm. So that's how bad it is for Country Garden. And that doesn't seem like there's um, a light at the end of the tunnel yet. So in my introduction, I promised that there was a big picture side to this as well. Today, we've learned that an increasing percentage of loans to property developers in China are going bad. What is the latest here? Yeah, if you look at the bad debt or the non-performing loans, uh, they are increasing. So this is not a surprise. We've been tracking what's happening in China, a slowdown, some sectors harder hit than others, and some businesses not being able to function. If you think about how the COVID-19 restrictions has meant people can't go out and workers can't go to work, uh, to the office. So that's really just meant a lot of trouble for the economy. And when that happens, the property sector is one of the big components of this entire um, slowdown um, equation. So if you look at the likes of ICBC, Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, that is the world's largest commercial lender, incidentally, uh, they have reported that lending to the real estate sector in the first half this year rose 15%, solid lending. So that's the amount of bad debt. 
And if you look at AgBank, Agricultural Bank of China, that is the country's third largest commercial lender, that is seeing the value of its property bad loans rise 19% in the first half of this year. And diving a bit deeper into ICBC, the real estate sector MPLs, that is now standing at 5.47%, compared to the non-performing loans on average for all sectors at 1.41%. So that's a reflection of how badly affected the real estate sector is when it comes to non-performing loans and, of course, wider sentiment. Just this month, China Evergrande failed to deliver on a promised debt restructuring plan. At a more local level, we are seeing Chinese home buyers refuse to pay their mortgages. Why is that? Yeah, it really comes down to a crisis of confidence. This is where you've got things playing out for many years, how we probably might remember the property boom in China, so much so it led to speculation. And then a lot of investors overseas going into China to invest in this booming market. And soon enough, Chinese authorities thought, hey, this is potentially becoming a bubble. And they had some restrictions in place, measures to make sure things don't burst. And this is essentially what is playing out right now, a slowdown in the market. Investors are now a bit more reluctant to go into China. And that's led to a bit of a cash flow crisis for developers. And that has in turn led to, if you look across in China, many unfinished apartments. Uh, And if, if you are a property buyer, you might have had some trouble getting your project on the right timeline. Some may have been delayed. Some may have been outright unfinished. So when you see those problems playing out in some developers, you might think, hey, maybe this could happen to my own developer. And that is leading to uh, quite a lot of reluctance by uh, mortgage by, um, or mortgagees to pay more money to developers because they might fear, hey, I'm throwing good money after bad money. Maybe I should just hold back and wait for things to improve before I continue to put in more money. So that's pretty much the crisis in confidence in summary. Now, over the past couple of years, we've had a number of stories about big Chinese property developers who have been unable to pay their debts. These defaults have roiled the markets. Could there be concerns that this could happen again? Well, you do have policymakers in China promising to stabilize markets and to some extent they have laid out some measures. You've got infrastructure projects, stimulus measures, interest rate cuts. So they have promised generally that they'll be there as the backstop for the Chinese economy. So on that front, you could maybe say, hey, the the Chinese economy has got your back. So maybe don't have to worry if you trust what they say. So that's what I think um, we'll have to see if enough Chinese consumers buy what the policymakers are saying. One more note from China before I move on. China is currently battling one of its broadest COVID-19 outbreaks. Not its biggest, but its broadest. Over the past 10 days, every single province in the country has reported at least one case. And that is big news in a country with a COVID-0 stance. So we're going to keep our eyes on this to see if lockdowns and economic ripples follow suit. On to corporate news, Ryan, with a focus on the tech world. We're going to do this game show style up or down time. Let's start with Snap. All right, Snap is going to be a down for me. So the social media company is reportedly laying off 20% of its workforce. Mm -hmm. That's more than 1,000 employees. 
That's one in every five. So definitely a down in my book as well. Not all of these laid-off employees are going to have trouble finding new jobs, though, because Netflix has already poached two top ad executives from Snap. So no word, though, if they were actually among those laid-off. Let's look at Facebook. Mm, I'm going up. And Hmm. this is an interesting development for Facebook. They are now allowing users to connect their crypto wallets to Facebook and Instagram effectively letting them put up NFTs on their social media pages. Yeah, I'm going to go with a down as well. Facebook is pulling out of the streaming gaming space. Apparently, it cannot compete there with that platform Twitch. Sony PlayStation. Okay, this is going to be an up for me and it's in the news because it has set up a dedicated PlayStation mobile gaming unit. And if you think about PlayStation, it's so dominant. What mm. more if they go into the mobile space? Goodness. And think about the synergies. You've got the ecosystem potentially in place. You've got Sony phones. That could be a big boost for that brand. Mm. You've got the the headgear, the headphones. You know, everything's in place. TV. So you potentially have a Sony ecosystem that's uh, potentially set to be unleashed. So I have two younger brothers, so I live in a Sony store, or I used to for a <laughs> Sony while. Sony store. Uh, do you have a PlayStation? I've got one PS4. Uh, of course, <laughs> PS5 is the next big thing, but so, it does cost quite a bit. You're looking forward to those addictive games on your mobiles? Oh, I think <laughs> I will try to stay away from that as much as I can. <laughs> we'll see. All right, HP. What do you think, up All or right. down? HP is a down for me. So this is of the latest earnings. A mixed bag. Quarterly sales miss estimates, but it did make up for it with some increased profit margins. But all in, it mm. is forecasting a slower year ahead because of the slowdown in the economic outlook. And That's that is it. just weighing on businesses, holding back on maybe buying more PCs. Down for HP for me as well. HP has cut its profit forecast. This as PC sales slow as well that we can see. Best Buy. Okay, Best Buy is going to be a down for me. And this is pretty much the story we've been talking about. People just getting more cautious about spending, tightening their purse strings. And we are looking at Best Buy sales, for example, down by about 13% in the second quarter. A bit of a pullback by shoppers feeling the pinch. Feeling the pinch, yeah. Best Buy's profits are down, but its share price rose overnight as the poor results were still Better than expected. So mixed bag for me when it comes to Best Buy. If we take a look at markets, U.S. stocks finish lower once again overnight. The Nasdaq, S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average all finished down about 1% or more. On the economic front, the number of job openings in the U.S. jumped in July following three straight months of decline. There were more than 11 million job openings in the U.S., twice the number of the available pool of workers. That is potentially good news for people. People who want to switch jobs, not so good for investors and the Fed, though. Why is that? Yeah, so it's a case of good news for the economy, not great news for the markets. And here's where the jobs number are, once again, being a good indication of how strong the labor market is. And it's a sign that employers are still looking very hard for workers despite all the other signs of a weakening economy and high inflation. So the latest reading is at 11.2 million open jobs available for July. That's 
uh, pretty much nearly two jobs on average for every unemployed person, and it's up from 11 million in June. So that is an indication of how strong the labour market is and enough maybe for the Fed to take note that, hey, maybe there is room and more ammunition for it to raise rates more aggressively. Now, I want to quickly look at two analyst reports. One is from Jefferies and the other is from Credit Suisse. So Jefferies, Ryan, is predicting that the Fed will raise rates as high as 4% next year, but it doesn't expect this to plunge the US economy into recession. 4% next year. Walk us through their argument. Yeah, so you've got the argument that everyone's been talking about a recession, but they are saying the risk of recession over the next six to nine months has been overblown. So pretty much they think it's much lower in terms of a risk than perceived. And they think it will not be as hard or rattling in terms of an impact when it comes to a potential hard landing. So this is where they feel the Fed has um, the room to raise rates and essentially the economy will go down but not as much as what people are fearing. So that's one of the big um, reasons they are highlighting. And also they are highlighting that some businesses businesses are still doing well. Um, they are looking at some Companies reporting expansions in margins, also positive cash flow in the latest second quarter. So they feel that's enough for them to hold on to workers and it won't trigger layoffs, which is one of the big signs of a recession. When you have a market, a labor market that's not doing well, uh, that's typically uh, uh, one of those symptoms that comes along with a uh, recession. And if you look at Real wages, they continue to rise, so people are still getting money. Um, so that's something they are looking forward to. And I think all those factors combined is enough for them to see that the Fed has room to raise rates to above 4% through the end of the year. And of course, inflationary pressures will be a priority for the Fed for them to make sure that things are front-loaded for those um, rate hike policy settings. Credit Suisse has issued a research note, though, with a slightly shorter term outlook, and it says it recommends going underweight on stocks. Tell us why. Yeah, it depends on who you ask. Is the market going up or down? And Credit Suisse is saying it's going down in the short term, bracing for more pain ahead in mm. the stock market. So it's pretty much reduced its equity allocation to underweight, calling the outlook for equities what it says is outright unattractive in the coming months. So quite a reflection of what we've been seeing actually in the past few days. Markets have just been underwater with all the talk from Fed speakers and other central bankers about how we might see rates stay high for longer. And that's pretty much a song that's been going on for quite some time. And I think Credit Suisse is expecting that song to continue for the next few months at least. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much saying diversify in the markets as much as you can because it's really hard to um, figure out how things will play out. So that is all the uncertainty um, from how businesses are still trying to grapple with it and all the mixed indications in the data. So for now, it's trying to reduce its exposure, a bit underweight on the outlook for equities and looking at things like alternative investments and private markets. So we all know that interest rates are going to continue to rise and sentiment for the markets is relatively gloomy at the moment. An article on Market Watch that ties these themes together really caught my eye this morning and it notes that 
U.S. markets typically bottom out before the end of a Fed rate hike cycle. So how can investors potentially play this theme? Okay, so I think it's quite a good point that they have raised. Um, Essentially, your crystal ball is as clear as mine. So it's very hard to guess what's going to happen in future. So here's what they are trying to encourage or feel is a good approach. Dollar cost averaging is one of those classic moves. If you try to just buy up stocks when they are cheap and then continue buying it when they are cheaper or more expensive, no, it's just very hard to time the market. So if you just get yourself into the market at some point, over the long run, you will be able to just ride out a winner. So if you identify any no stocks that you like, fundamentally sound, of course. Um, and if you just get into the markets when they are low, there's no telling when is the bottom. But if you get them somewhere near the bottom, then maybe end of the run, then you would come out on top. I think that is a very classic and sound approach towards investing. Just dollar cost averaging to make sure that you're in the market. Like I say, time in the market is better than timing the market. So no bad time to get into the market even now. Let's check in on the Singapore market. Second round of up or down the local edition. Ryan, let's go with Propnex. I am going with up for Propnex. And thanks to Main Bank, they are starting um, coverage of Propnex at buy. Mm -hmm. So this is the view that Propnex can, what they call, easily sustain its high dividend payout of over 70%. That is definitely an up in my books. Maybank bullish on Propnex. Up for me for Propnex. Deposit rates? All right, deposit rates are going up, finally. (laughs) We've seen them really lag behind in terms of action. But finally, OCBC is the latest in the news to raise its interest rates on the 360 account. I think a lot of Singaporeans have this. I have Uh, it. Yeah, you have it. So... Mm -hmm. You typically have these rewards or incentives to do various actions of the bank, like yep. credit your salary into it, mm-hmm. spend on your credit card, whatnot. So it has now raised it to as high as 4.05% for balances up to $100,000 for those various actions. So up for me on OCBC, paying a bit more than 4% on a 360 account. So someone who deposits $100,000 will earn 4500 in interest over one year. That's good in my books. Let's check in on the local markets now. Ryan, Marco Polo Marine was the most actively traded stock on the Singapore exchange yesterday and one of the biggest gainers. Its shares surged more than 20%. So, do we know what's behind the jump? Pretty much, it's down to earnings and we are seeing its first half and the March rise 82% to $10.8 million. And it was pretty much down to bottom line growth, um, um, lifted by operational improvements as well as higher gross profit margins. So Marco Polo Marine operating in the marine logistics space is seeing activity pick up. And I think you've seen from headlines in the past few months how that space has been just doing well, activity economic activity coming back on stream, just lifting the wider industry. If we take a look at the broader market, the Straits Times Index climbed in line with most regional bourses. Yesterday, it finished up half a percent at 32.39. How is the blue chip index doing this morning, Ryan? Looks like pretty much in line with the rest of the region, Mm. underwater. 
you've got the STI giving back yesterday's gains is now down by 0.7% at 3,217. And looking at the STI constituents, only one counter in the green, that is Capital Data Center REIT up by 0.5% at $1.96. At the bottom, you've got a couple of stocks down at least 1%. At the bottom, Singtel down 1.5%, followed by Capitaland Invest, Maple Tree Industrial Trust, Maple Tree Pan Asia Commercial Trust, UOL, SIA, all down at least 1%. So it is pretty much tracking what we've um, got overnight on Wall Street when it comes to the handover, a negative lead. All right, one last story before I let you go, Ryan. This one from the sports world. LeBron James is the first active NBA player to officially become a billionaire. He hit that milestone a couple of months ago, according to Forbes, and is only the second basketball player in the world to hit that mark following Michael Jordan. So LeBron is putting some of that capital to work in European Football. So did you see that LeBron was going to invest in AC Milan, Ryan? What do you make of this? Yeah, I guess it was just a matter of time because he was a shareholder or is a shareholder in Liverpool. He bought a stake in Liverpool 11 years ago. Um, and that really made him quite a tidy sum of money. Mm. He bought it for £5 million to own 2% of Liverpool. It's now worth £100 million. And if you look at what's happening... Right now, he is set to invest in Italian Serie A champions, AC Milan. So this is going to be interesting to watch because it looks like everything touches these days turns to gold. So it is going to be interesting to see how much money he makes out of AC Milan, possibly taking a leaf out of his success with Liverpool. Thank you very much, Ryan Huang there. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.